This is Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. What's up, party people? How the hell are you? Another episode of Stark Reality. This time with my man, my mellow Jason Villani, a.k.a. Lord Lewis. Jason has been holding it down on WESU, based out of Connecticut, with his radio show, The Rumpus Room, going since 2002. So quite some time. And he always uh, plays a bunch of newer stuff. Uh, a lot of things with, uh, you know, classic soul, funk, jazz, vein. But a lot of newer artists, he always schools me on a lot of stuff. So, worth checking out. We put some links up to uh, his annual Top 100 albums and uh, mixes. And included on this podcast is uh, about half of his recent quarantine mix, which features... All things that came out this year in 2020. So he's on it, people. And besides being that, he's a librarian by trade. Another librarian, people. And uh, leftist anarchist has been following especially uh, things with Israel-Palestine for many years. So we talk about that as well as just trying to carve out a niche for more underground DJ events. It's a nice discussion, runs a little bit over an hour, and then you get about 45 minutes of his recent quarantine mix. So that's what's on the table here. Stark Reality with Jason Villani, a.k.a. Lord Lewis, The Velvet Knight, coming your way right about now. So uh, we're here, another episode of Stark Reality, with my man, my mellow, Jason Villani, a.k.a. Lord Lewis. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Glad to be uh, here with you. And um, you have been basically chilling in Connecticut for quite some time, right? Yes. I'm a reference librarian uh, here in Connecticut, um, and I work at the New Britain Public Library. And uh, I also DJ on WESU, and my show's called The Rumpus Room, and I've been doing that on WESU since 2002. Yeah, you've been doing radio for a long, long time. What what kind of style would you say you uh, rock on that show? Now, primarily, the show is uh, in t- like playing from the contemporary kind of international global underground um, with deep funk, soul, jazz, Afrobeat, reggae, uh, dub, and uh, some of the Balearic underground as well. But you play, you play a lot of newer artists. Like I'd say you're probably better at that than I am in terms of just playing a lot of people that are doing that stuff, but you know on contemporary labels, etc. 
Yes. And what's amazing is uh, my show, I try to showcase um, these sort of uh, these these underground channels within these movements and music. Right. And they've been going on for a while. Right. I know you already know full well about funk and soul. Um, you know, and now jazz and modal and spiritual jazz is having a kind of renaissance. Um, yeah, you know, people basically, yeah, be, people making kind of almost modern spirit jazz records. Yeah, and 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 so I play from those various contemporary undergrounds. Like, and at this point, I get service, so it's like almost being in a, a record pool, um, and I get you know. My show is predominantly all contemporary, all brand new. So the mix that I gave you is actually all cuts from this year already. Um, and my show, my radio show, is primarily focuses on that, on the contemporary international uh, scene within those sort of genres, which is quite um, amazing and interesting with as far as groups and labels. Um, and, you know, also I've been thinking more about, um, you know, how they're anchored to sort of DJ uh, subcultures too, right? The whole, that whole piece is, is also influences me. Like, you know, these are sort of part of sort of subcultural music scenes and also DJ scenes. Um, and those also uh, are big influences for me. What would you say? Are, music. What would you say are some of the labels that you're playing on your show, or you're kind of a fan of these days that are putting out this kind of stuff? Oh God! So uh, you know, some like off the top of my head for 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 like just jazz, right? So what's interesting is Gondwana Records um, is a label. Matthew Housall, um, his I, label, I played some of his uh, stuff actually. Yeah, and he's he's great. Just to give you an idea of like the, the, a, a really progressive um, kind of indie underground jazz label, uh, which is his, um, which is putting out amazing stuff, his own stuff and other um, artists. Um, you know, like True Thoughts is a classic one. Yeah, Ubiquity. Shouts, shouts to True that, Thoughts. Yeah, Ubiquity yep, that, also has been around forever forever you know dap tone everybody knows um and there, there's there's more i'd have to like almost jog my you know no my, i know my I, i'm sorry but you know it's like putting you on the spot it's like yeah yeah right <laughs> That's what, well, that, well the thing too is like if like on written like i would be able to like i could give you a list well That's you did you're doing i remember you put like a top 10 or top 100 or something like you do some end of the year lists i should check them actually probably yeah, would that's, learn yeah something. that's the other thing too um you know i for me it um uh i definitely encourage people like to 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 reach out to me you know i'm on uh, instagram and facebook but i do i do do exactly what you're saying a list so you can kind of like every year I'll do a top 100 um, albums within those genres that I, that I, that I focus in. So the sort of contemporary uh, international underground, and I do a whole 100 top 100 list um, that chronicles um, just stuff that I've been playing that I love. And it's, 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 it's an interesting snapshot and you can find tons of stuff from just like, 
checking that out. And I have those available. Like, you know, I can easily make those available so people can kind of get a sense of where I am because it is hard to, like, it is hard for people to, I mean, you know, you have a sense of where I am, um, but it's hard for the general public to kind of see unless they like tune in and then kind of really track um, these sort of bands and labels. Like it takes a little bit of work. Yeah, that's to, true because yeah. uh, it's it's like these kind of things. It's it's not necessarily jumping out, and these labels don't necessarily have some humongous promotional budget. They're not necessarily getting caned on commercial radio, so it becomes like yeah. sort of like people need to do their own homework. Which again, people have busy lives. Like if you yeah. you and I are involved with music, then we're much more, you know app to just be like all right we're going to spend a lot of time digging for music someone might be busy doing other things they don't have time necessarily to go and dig in all these kind of like subgenres to yep. kind of find things and find what they like so which is kind of yep. nice that's what's, it's good that people like yourself are out there like like i said i could be digging for new sounds more because as you know there's you know also just all the vintage stuff is is forever <laughs> you know you yeah. can spend forever just just keep digging in all the vintage stuff so i that's something that i sometimes lag is like oh i need to go and just make sure i'm keeping up on contemporary sounds so i'm glad you're doing that and, yeah and that's what i try to be a platform like my radio show is a conduit like so that you can like the person can if they want they can tune in and they can they can find out about really cool and hot bands you know, that are on the underground. Um, and um, it's, it is amazing too. I, I, you know, part of the other thing that I, like, I try to like, you know, it, it, I don't even know, like showcase is that it's amazing. Like, you know, the, the, the music and where I'm at is, is, is insane. Like the new stuff coming out, there's so much amazing, amazing music. And that's what my, I, I feel my show is to tap into that and then to disseminate it, you know, for folks so they can, you know, they have something to tap into to see that. Like it is an amazing, incredible, multiple different scenes and musics um, to tap into um, and that are connected to scenes, right? You know, the deep funk and soul revival is a scene since the late nineties. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say so, it even goes back even a little farther, but in terms of people making, you know, newer records, like, yeah, like nineties, yeah. basically, you know, well, trying and, to really and, and then, recreate, uh, almost what I think Gabe from Daptone calls that shitty is pretty sound where it's just, it's not overproduced. It's raw, you know? Yeah. And what's interesting, right. Too, is, is how these, Scenes are co connected to collectors, right? So if you look to, um, if you go back to the deep funk scene, you know, Keb Darge, these are collectors, and then the collectors create a DJ subculture that influences the bands, right? And if you chart back to, like, well, if you actually, 93 was when Poets of Rhythm put out Practice What You Preach. That's yeah, I would say Poets of Rhythm are, are some of the first people that we're doing First. stuff and and they're coming and also, out of, you know like, yeah. and also obviously desco which is a pre-dap tone you know yep and so you have you know that scene you could you could we can probably say it's tied to them the rare group scene in the uk right 
late 80s crossover um, and how that um, was also, you know, very influential, uh, you know, when they were when they were first playing, you know, and that's connected to the jazz dance scene, late 70s. Right. Um, right. You know, and Snowboy has written a whole book on that. Right? right. And so how these, you know, music and DJ underground subcultures then influence, you know, bands. Um, and so that's that's big for me. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately and trying to get more into DJ history, you know, and DJ subculture and dance scene history what was the name um, of that snowboy book and snowboy is a producer out of the uk but also a dj etc um, he's a yeah he's a he's a percussionist too yeah he's percussionist a, right percussionist yep. yep and he's also a big big you know collector and dj right. um um the book let me see if i could uh well we'll, we'll find it, it. <laughs> yeah We'll figure it out. But Google, Google it, people. It, Google it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's and it's amazing too because what people don't realize is like I mean even you know what I've been getting deeper into is now is as far as just like right very well known um, DJ subcultures is uh, Ibiza right right um, huge everyone everyone knows of it it's you know what it is now but it's its whole history is quite amazing and you know, the, the DJ, the eclectic DJ style that they uh, pioneered that became like a thing. Like, I mean, I don't even think people. Um, well, they now associate Ibiza with, uh, you know, kind of like this, you know, bling, Techno. almost like, you know, I guess like a South Beach, like, you know, pumping house, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, there's the whole, I guess, like the Balearic vibes and all that. And, and not only what's interesting with that is not only is it, was it an influential kind of um, style of DJing um, really eclectic, which you don't, which I, which is how I kind of play when I play out. Um, but also became almost the genre also. Right. So not only the DJ, the style of DJing, but then it actually became like almost the genre in and, in and of itself, which is kind of interesting. And you can see a lot of, like contemporary um, people. One of my favorites that just came across is Bill Morris, and he's got a, um, a really killer uh, album uh, that came out last year um, that's worth checking out on Bandcamp. But also, uh, also influential for me, which I've been getting into recently, is um, the, whole, the whole Italian cosmic and cosmic disco and Afro scene. Yeah. Daniel Baldelli. Yeah. Know, Daniel Baldelli. Yeah. Who's still putting out records? He put out a record this year. Yeah, actually. he's still I, playing, I believe, right? I, I believe. Well, he's still making music. I don't know if he's uh, doing like has a DJ residency or anything. I know he definitely still is putting out music, you know, as a producer and right. working with other other producers and musicians. Um, but that's a whole fascinating sort of amazing sort of. Uh, underground DJ scene um, that is influential for me. Um, yeah, and... the whole like cosmic. It's kind of uh, how would you describe that? Uh, you know, in terms if you had to describe it to someone, because it is kind of a vibe. You know. Yeah, and it's also about it. he was kind of making new music in the mix, 
right? So he was using drum machines, pitching down. He would yeah, records. slow. He would slow and, down a lot of records. Exactly. Yeah, layering stuff. Um, so in the mix, creating new music, like you know, with using the drum machine and um, playing with uh, pitch and tempo, and then layering um, stuff on top. Um, which is pretty, uh, you know, amazing and legendary, right? His stuff, you can pull up some of his, some of the tapes, you know, are up on, um, on YouTube. Um, and, you know, it's like, I don't know. He said, do we have, one of the things now is like, when you go out to, um, you know, see DJs, it's hard to really see. Well, for me, it's hard to see anything that's like that impressive or, or a selector that is really deep and interesting. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could. You, I mean, you, you probably you you probably know a little more because you're in New York as far as what's on offer these days. Well, um, uh, I mean, first... and again, we're recording this in the middle of the uh, Corona epidemic, so yeah. <laughs> it's uh, that's a whole other thing. Because um, I know you had a residency in. Uh, Connecticut, you were doing like a sort of a Sunday yeah, lounge thing, right? Yep, and that's actually obviously um, totally um, not happening right now. But um, Connecticut but hasn't been hit as hard, right? Um, well, I think at least at the moment per, that we're per, recording this around April 16th. Yeah, well, actually, we're we're per, as far as per capita, I think we're number four. So we're it's it is. It is pretty serious here, for Probably sure. Probably because of pesky New Yorkers escaping, I'm sure. <laughs> and well, <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, we're we're right next to you, um, but like we're we're definitely feeling it for sure here. And I did like I I well, when was it? The last one I did was well February because it was my residency as a vinyl residency at a really cool um, uh, bar called Firehouse Twelve in New Haven which is great, really small, intimate space. They actually have turntables and a house system, which is, which is really unique and awesome, especially for me, because um, I prefer to do um, when I spin vinyl. Um, and the last one, you know, obviously was, was, was February, but that's a, a great place because I can do, go anywhere with that. And I'm, it's basically very similar to kind of my radio show as far as what i play out and showcase. yeah I, I don't see you trying to do some sort of uh saturday commercial kind of night you know and th- that's no. the whole thing yeah. i mean you have a job you you know you don't necessarily need to yeah. do commercial gigs you have a gig you know as mm-hmm. a librarian so that's you know again that's kind of nice. you're just like hey i want to these are the records i want to play and uh there is something to be said you know, sometimes people are like, well, as a DJ, you're supposed to entertain people. But it's like, well, you know, you don't have to always a, a look at that, you know, just like people make movies that they don't necessarily think like, OK, this needs to be some chart bre- breaking movie or whatever. You know, there's people who are going to yeah. approach it differently and just be like, I don't I'm not necessarily trying to do a commercial DJ night, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and there's plenty of party starter performance DJs doing that right there's actually not enough there's actually not enough of real deep killer selectors um out there and you know for me too it's about i have i've been in it for so long it's about me trying to showcase these sort of various undergrounds for people 
to 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 you know to share this amazing music that most people just don't have access to at all. And, you, and, and, and it's also like trying to find the venues too, because you have to also have a venue that's open to, okay, you, you know, we're going to have someone that's playing stuff that people may not know any of the music, you know? Yeah. So that's also just, uh, you know, sometimes a battle in itself, you know? But yeah, yeah. I've been meaning I mean, to that... try and make that. I know it's like always a bit of a hustle. It's like, you're just far and out enough, but I do one of these Sundays if, uh, things ever get back to normal i do want to come up there and hang out yeah no no i think you would love it because it's and the space is kind of geared for that like right um you know they 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 basically allow the dude the the djs to do their own thing they're on like off night so it's like a sunday or a tuesday where they do the djing the vinyl they bring in um vinyl djs and um, that's the whole vibe. It's about like, it's about the DJ curating. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Usually those kind of nights, that's when you can get away with it more also. It's like, you know, on a Friday or Saturday. And again, it's not even about being a snob. People want to blow out off steam. Maybe they don't want to yep. be challenged in that way. They want to hear some hits and have fun. But yeah, on a mm-hmm. Sunday, Monday, earlier in the week, that's when you can have those kind of nights where it's like, okay, it's a Sunday. We're all chilling. So why don't we just, play some deeper things because that's the thing that's sometimes frustrating about music is there is so much amazing music that just never really gets touched in a kind of bigger format so again like but people keep making it because you know we are all fans of music so we're like oh this is amazing and of course you know when you get all this stuff you want to share it you know yeah and you know what else i just was thinking what people have lost is like all the major like killer like uh, legendary EDs at DJs, and there's a really cool little booklet out on them uh, that just came out on test pressing, which I have, which is amazing, which you should definitely check out. It's a killer, Tim. Nice. Um, but all of these, all of these major scenes and major like EDs of DJs from like the 80s, they were doing their own thing. They were not like playing, you know what I mean? They were playing, and that's the same with like, you know, the underground, you know, disco in New York, like the, the the DJs were the master curators. When you were going up, you know what I'm saying? When you think about the sort of underground clubs back in the day, whether that was New York or Ibiza or Goa, whatever, the DJs were leading um, and curating. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to these places to hear familiar stuff. Right. You go to hear master DJs take you on a journey with like with them playing incredibly amazing rare or obscure music and i think we've lost that um you know and and people have lost even realizing yeah all these huge scenes they weren't playing just like this wasn't about commercial stuff this was about uh, going to see underground stuff like even in the beginning of house yeah you know um, it was like you you just go and it were were mesmerized and you didn't know what they were playing. They were just were playing amazing stuff. Right? Um and I that's one of the things I've been thinking about more lately is like we've lost even realizing that. And like even like like the rare groove or even these DJ scenes, uh the jazz band scenes, they were playing obscure killer cuts. Yeah. Um and it's they like... and they had whole scenes. 
like even like Northern Soul, right? You think about Northern Soul, right? Um, they were play- that whole Northern Soul is all about playing the obscure um, forty-five singles that were not any had nothing to do with commercial success or charts or whatsoever, and they created an entire scene from that, and that's really kind of what you know what uh, is significant for me and influential, and I think important to kind of like tease out. Yeah, um, I mean, just kind of continuing know. that sort of tradition, and that's the whole thing is they carved out those scenes and created something so that, you know, people will be like, oh, wow, you know, this is this is cool. And it's sort of like you kind of bring people in that way, and then it's sort of like it's a little more expanding. But, yeah, the problem is is if you kind of uh, are just only catering to what people know, that's just a small fraction of music out there, you know? Yeah. Like, I would much rather... Instead of being like, okay, I want to go see you play and just hear stuff that I know, the whole point is you, I think there's a sort of like transition in music where you're like, you you get, you get into enough music that you're like, okay, there's so much music out there that I'll never even know in my lifetime that, you know, I want to go out and be turned on by things and, and just hear amazing things, maybe stuff I don't know or played in a different way. But, you know, if you kind of, approach it from the sort of cookie cutter perspective of oh this dj sucks because he's playing something i don't know it kind of like you're you're you you know again it just depends on what mood you're in like obviously i do events and stuff so sometimes you know that's what people want to hear it's a party they want to hear hits and and you know things that they're comfortable dancing to but i do think it's really important that you know to kind of open yourself up because otherwise it starts to become like you know, when people are like five years old and they're going to McDonald's or something and they're like, I don't want anything on my hamburger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But what if you just yeah. kept, you know, being that way? Like, I'm only going to eat the same thing the same way and never try anything new. Then you're you're missing out on a lot of things in life, you know, and, and that's yeah. how I kind of look at, you know, people and people obviously don't do that. You know, they'll go and try all these different cuisines around the world and you know, they'll put lettuce and tomato on their hamburger later or, you know what I mean? Like they'll start to like add things. But I think with musically, sometimes people still kind of like have that little kid mentality, especially, you know, it's like sort of obnoxious request types that it's like, you're not serving me a plain hamburger, you know? And it's like, live a little, (laughs) Yeah, try something else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's harder to do, right? You already know this. And, 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 and I would never, you know, Every place in, has a context, right? So you do various gigs, and each demands you do a certain thing, right? Right, right. Um, and to build one of the hardest things, right? To build anything where you're gonna, where you want to just curate and go deep, like you need a lot of things in place, including a venue that understands what you want to do. But then, not only that like you got to kind of like actively build it. You almost need like either uh, a blog or a uh, email list. You know, you need things to kind of bring people in and hit them constantly, the good stuff and write stuff up so that you can paint like the picture of like, yeah, there's multiple killer underground scenes and let's, let's go there. Um, and let's talk about it. Yeah, and that, and that's a that's another transition is uh you know the concept of you're just not in terms of throwing nights per se you you have to be you know you 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 uh, a lot of people you have to take on the role of a promoter in some way 
you know you yep. have and it's like again it's sort of the one of those things that is what it is like there's i've known plenty of amazing djs that you know have crazy records but you know if they're not promoting then you know i mean i'm even that to a certain extent but it's like you know the, you have to do that like i've learned to try and just okay let's just put stuff out like you know make the facebook event make the instagram thing do mixes like you you know you have to kind of cultivate yeah. these scenes you know people like rich medina spinner or um soul in the horn like you know i've brought that up with uh belinda becker when i interviewed her like you know people kind of like again creating a kind of scene where it's like hey this is going to be the kind of vibe and then you cr instead of like having to pander to the lowest common denominator you kind of tell yeah. people in advance like no we're kind of doing this and then you find that kind of long tail that they, you know, talk about in kind of like corporate world type of stuff. But, you know, that there is lots and lots of people that don't necessarily want to hear all the hits. And so then they yeah. go out and they're like, oh, this is all commercial. And so you can kind of like try to set up nights to appeal to people like that, you know, and it's not say most of the population but if you get enough people together you'll have a great scene and then people who go there really appreciate it because then you can go out on a weekend night and it isn't necessarily yep. cookie cutter abc shit you know well and also and also one of the things for me right is 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 is, is basically also hipping and sharing killer new stuff right so like you're not just going out to a cool night you're like i went out it was a dope DJ. It was a cool night where you were going out too and having that, but also being able to to discover, right? Like new killer music. Which is kind of um, like the whole thing about us even getting into music is you're like, oh, there's this, there's this, there's this. And it even, your tastes evolve over time. Like maybe when yep. you first got into DJing, you didn't know about the cosmic scene. So these things yeah, kind of, no, oh, yeah. like music to me, yeah. it, it unfolds as the more you get into it and you see all the layers and you see all these different sub, you know, as you said, subcultures, then it's, you know, you can get deeper into these different subcultures and you're like, oh, there's a whole other world I didn't even realize existed, you know? Yep, exactly. Yeah. But anyways, let's, to switch up a little bit, let's talk about uh, politics because that is one of the ways we kind of ended up meeting i think kind of on someone else's facebook page when i used to argue more online now i'm trying to get past all that <laughs> i yeah, find debating yeah. kind of like you know it's sort of i call it the junior high school debate team because should we really debate about universal health care or you know is israel an apartheid state or just all these things that i feel like hey at a certain point it's like it's kind of blatantly obvious and the people that are trying to get into these debates it's almost like not in good faith because it's just something that's just so blatantly obvious. Why are we talking about this? Like, again, like ab abortion would be another thing. Why are we even talking about this? You know? Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. There's a lot of things that it's just like, it's, it shouldn't be a quote unquote debate. Right. But, um, that just becomes, uh, and that's a huge here for so many things. Right. It, 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 you know, we're one of the biggest right now, there's, we shouldn't be debating uh, Medicare for all, especially now. During uh, a living fucking pandemic. Pandemic, <laughs> right? I mean, how does it, I mean, it's, it's exposing um, so much, right? And how we were totally unprepared and people already know this. And hopefully this will be a push, you know, but it's obscene, right? To 
to have to debate something so disgusting because essentially when you, when you boil it down, I mean, at least the way I look at it, is it's just a monopoly racket with a, a, a parasitical uh, middleman, right? The health right. insurance industry is basically a racket and they're a parasitical middleman. Yeah. Um, and I it's mean, obscene. And I mean, if, you, if you're alive and the choice is you save money by not being alive or not, you're just going to spend the money. And then that's why you have people dying of rationing their insulin because... You know, they don't have money, but, you know, if you need that to survive and then it ends up giving these, you know, giving people impossible choices that are you a robot or are you a human being? You know, it's yeah. just well, and that's the That's the sort of, I mean, beyond the sort of uh, just completely obscene part of it being a sort of middleman racket is we're talking about privatizing something that's a public good. And that's. That's essentially immoral. And they do it. What's insidious is they know that you will have to pay. You can't not pay for health care. Um, and it should never be for profit, right? That's the sort of immoral um, obscenity about it. And I don't think that gets out too much, right? It's just like, you know, it's the same with like housing, right? Housing is a complete shit show. Because right. That's most true. Of all housing is primarily for profit. Um it's it, you know it's almost entirely right the, the the small small public housing that we had in this country has been purposely dismantled and underfunded right? yeah and now we're living under right we're living we have a, a housing affordability crisis that politicians are still not actually addressing as we all know and housing just like medicare uh, medicare is a is a human right we should be able to have affordable housing and we should have a, you know there should be a sector you know, um, that is not for profit, like social housing or public housing, whatever you want to call it, um, that allows for, you know, people to have affordable housing. And you already know we have an entire national crisis. You already know the story about gentrification, um, you know, and so it's very similar, right? And as far as, you know, housing and healthcare, and then even education, right? Education so expensive and totally, you know, um, a racket and we have a debt crisis with that. Right. Yeah. Um, and those are kind of three spaces that we are failing and they're, they're, they're public social goods, right. Education, your healthcare and your housing. Um, and you know, but they're all deeply screwed up because of neoliberal capitalism and privatizing these sectors. Right. And and, um, then, and their next focus, which they've been trying to go after, you know, probably obviously going back to the 80s with Reagan is the post office. And now they're in a they're in a position yep. to finally yep. do what they yep. wanted to do for many years, which is privatize yep. the post office. Exactly. Yeah. Which is outrageous. Outrageous. Right? Like, outrageous. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's the same thing. And what's cool. I mean, what that's one of the interesting things about Bernie is. He was at least trying to make this space known. His, believe it or not, like his housing proposal is very impressive. I, this was like, like three or four months ago. I, I, I got, you know, I came across it. It's brilliant, comprehensive, just like his Medicare for All plan, um, and you know, similar to, you know, education. You know, 
Yeah, red, I mean, you know, obviously, I feel like Bernie for the left, if we want to talk about the the election a bit, um, you know, and again, we're recording this on uh, April 16th, um, but it's, yep. you know, it's just, uh, it is a disappointment. I mean, obviously, I looked at him as being, you know, for what a lot of people have said is he was the compromise candidate for the left, you know, because essentially yeah. he's, you know, he's a social Democrat, so... He's not. I don't think he's yeah. nearly as left as people think he is. No, you know, he's, especially he's, he's, his foreign policy is. You know, yeah, it's it yeah. becomes kind of typical. Like even if he gets a D plus and everyone gets an F, it's still not good. You know what yeah. I mean? But because he was actually pushing for some of these social things like Medicare for all, et cetera, then you know people could get pat. You know, behind that because it's way way overdue in this country and. uh you know, the combination, obviously, of the media and the fixing and the, the fuckery of the DNC. It's kind yeah. of crazy. And now we're in this, you know, anyways, go, you know. Well, and it's what it's what, what's interesting, too, is he is essentially like as far as his policies, what you were getting back to where he is. He's basically FDR. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. He's so kind of FDR. You know, as far as policy, and then what's interesting about Israel-Palestine, right? He is still a Zionist. We know this. Yeah, he's he's a two-stater, basically. But but that being said, right, it's still interesting because he's the only one that's pushed that issue the furthest. None of the other candidates went there. Yeah, that's why, in my opinion, that's why I give him a D plus. He hasn't completely failed because he does at least entertain the question of challenging it a little bit, but... You know, yeah. he, he could still be a lot further left. You know? And actually mentioning Palestinians as human beings. Oh, my God. I mean, the you thing that's kind of twisted is that's the the bar just gets lower and lower. It's like, oh, my God, Bernie mentioned Palestine. He's the savior. And it's just like, OK, that's that is yeah. good. But it's just like, wow, no We're one still, else yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? And you know where we haven't gone, where I sort of what I've been thinking what we need to start doing. And I know it's tricky territory because I know, I know how it's understood, but essentially is we need to go on the attack with Zionism as a racist, toxic, settler colonial ideology and divorce it from Judaism. Right. Um, And no one is willing to really do that yet. At least on a political scale, you know, yeah, and I know why, and I have an inkling why, right? So when we talk about it, it, like, it's so fused with Jewish identity. That's also the point. Um, but, you know, also right-wing um, Nazis also used Zionist, right? But that's code for them for Jew or someone who's Jewish. Yeah, and I do, uh, I do give credit to some of the people that actually, you know, got me aware of this stuff, like Ali Abdenima from uh, Electronic Intifada, because a lot of the true, you know, people fighting this stuff are also just very, very, very against racism. So they don't want yeah. racists that are denouncing Israel because they don't like Jews. They don't want them part of the movement. And, of course, many Zionists yeah. try to smear, you know, things like the BDS movement as being racist against Jews, you know, it really does come down yeah. to that. They try to basically co-op the Jewish identity to say yeah. all Jews are Zionists, which in itself you can argue is anti-Semitic because, you know, why yeah, should exactly. a bunch of racist as Zionists claim Judaism, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy because to me, it's still very, um, 
invisible. Like a lot of people don't know really what Zionism is or even want to go there for fear of being called out as anti-Semitic, right? You know that this is a serious, serious thing. I mean, right, we just saw what happened in the UK. Uh, yeah, right, with this, exactly. Well, with, yeah, with, with Corbyn. Corbyn. Yeah, but Corbyn. And, and it's like, you true. know, this is serious. This is, they, they have big guns. They have, I mean, the, the smear machine is no joke. The smear machine have, is not You know, a they joke. use lawfare, as you know, exactly. my partner is, is wrapped up in this with the ASA. There's a lawsuit against, because they had a, a BDS resolution. Why don't you talk about that just really briefly? Because that was something of a standout thing, right? Okay, yeah, I'll try. I mean, I'll try. Let's see how it comes out. Um <laughs> You know, so it was significant. The American Studies Association. American Studies Association. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, they passed a um, BDS resolution. This was some so years ago, too, right? This was like three yeah, or four this years was, ago. Yeah, a couple or years longer. ago. Yeah. Um, and, and people can look it up, too. It's um, It was pretty significant, right? A major academic uh, association, you know, putting forth a resolution saying basically saying the resolution's not going to, um, I think partner with, um, Israeli state institutions. You could still work with Israeli scholars. Israeli scholars could still come over here and work with you. Um, and so there's a lot of misconstrual, um, and it's important, you know, to kind of, uh, go into their know, actual statement. Cause I'm sure Zion. Yes, exactly. You know, but 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 one of the outcomes was because of this, four senior Zionist scholars worked with Kenneth Marcus's um, organization, uh, the Brandeis Center, I think, which is basically like it's a kind of Zionist lawfare outfit. Yeah, but, I'm familiar with. I've read about them, the Brandeis Center. Yeah, yep, but poses exactly. as like a civil rights outfit, but right. they use lawfare. So right, they. Uh, lodged a, a frivolous lawsuit against the association. Um, and it's still playing out. It did get s- dismissed on one level, but then they refiled because you can refile these things in different, you know, on different jurisdictions and different ways. And so they keep going. They throw it everything they can to see if anything will stick. And exactly. part of it, right, is an int- intimidation, a dragnet of all the emails for discovery. So all the activism. Um, and, and, and morally draining, right. You know, for all the people involved, like it's just, you know, really, really stressful. Um, and, and that's what they do. I mean, you were very familiar with like, that's, that's one of their playbooks and they're doing it with BDS, right. They're trying to use lawfare to, to go against any Palestinian solidarity, activism, BDS, anything to drain the money, to target them with, you know, frivolous lawsuits and tie them up. It's not even about winning, right, you know, when we talk about lawfare. Um, yeah, and uh, basically, yeah, the, and the whole, you know, BDS boycott, divestment, and sanctions, they're basically trying to say that it's illegal to boycott Israel. That, you know, again, using the whole concept that, yeah. you know, it's racist. I mean, the thing that's kind of just sickening is that all the people that have accused Corbyn of racism are complete racists themselves. So you have racists basically 
you know, it's just, it's just classic projectionism. I mean, I think a lot of the problems of the world are obnoxious people using projectionism well, and, and, you, and then basically playing the victim when they're the oppressor. Yeah. And it's just, it's sickening. It's really sickening. I well, get and then, very what, tired of what it, is, <laughs> you know? Yeah, one of the things I've, I've called my senators on is like, if you want to talk about where the battleground for free speech in this country is right now, it's with Israel and Palestine. It's with Palestinian solidarity activism and BDS. BDS, as you already know, has been criminalized. That's straight in a up number of streets, illegal. you know. Yeah, straight it, up illegal. Straight up unconstitutional. It's like um, it's ridiculously I mean, unconstitutional. It's not. It's a joke. You know what I mean? And they're, but they're getting away with it. And yeah. it's like, are you serious? Um, I mean, that's where the real battle is. If you want to talk about like, yeah, I think. Uh, no, it's. I think Abby Martin is, is, is get you know, challenging yep. something because yep. she was supposed to teach, I mean, uh, speak yep. somewhere. It might have been uh, Georgia. I'd have to look it up. But so she's and challenging one say, of the state laws right now. Yeah, where you're not going to you have to pledge that you won't boycott um, Israel or you the, or you won't be invited or you'll be disinvited or whatever. Right. Um, but that's 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 super concerning. I wrote to my senators on that topic because that is alarming and insane and the general public doesn't know it does has no idea that that's one of the major battlegrounds around free speech right there right now and the general public has no clue yeah and it is serious well i think a lot of people know. don't want to touch that issue because again it's like they'll say oh it's confusing or whatever and, and that's also part of it is that there's just you know another thing is just putting out so much so much bullshit disinformation that again almost like digging for music you have to kind of dig through all these articles and find the right people that are actually you know telling the actual truth but it, it again it's not yeah. obvious you're not going to find it in mainstream media for the most part so it becomes yeah. like you know sort of like you have to make some effort to actually find cool. it and then and, of course you, you post it on some so- social media thing and, and of course you know you know, your basic punter type of person is like, well, I've never heard of that website or that sounds fishy, you know? And then, but then of course they want to trust things like the New York times or CNN, which essentially operate as state media, you know? And, and you've seen, I mean, again, even going back to the election, you've seen just how, how much consent was manufactured, even with Tara Reid at the moment that it took three weeks for the New York times and, Washington Post and these people to start covering Tara Reid, you know, the person who's uh, accused Joe Biden of of, uh, you know, raping her. And uh, they just they wouldn't even touch the story. I mean, you can imagine if it was someone accusing Bernie, they would be going nuclear. But, you know, again, it's sort of like the bias. Well, and the other thing, too, is. Um, right. Why is this? What do they say? The third rail of politics? You cannot, without serious repercussions, speak about this uh, in the political arena, particularly the federal political arena, without having massive, massive backlash, right? That's another thing that deeply concerns me of like, even like, why is it, why aren't we having as a society? A conversation on this because, like, we already know how much of our tax dollars is basically funding a client apartheid state, Israel, right? 
um, totally obscene. Um, so it, it, it is an issue of concern, but right. We can't really talk about it. Well, yeah, um, because again, it's, it, and, and the media is down because the media is kind of like, you know, even if you have all these different outlets, you know, Atlantic, Vox or whatever, they're all kind of neoliberal to fascist outlets, like maybe, you know, someone's, you know, like Forbes or Wall Street Journal or, you know, would be more conservative, yeah. but they essentially all act as sort of, you know, State Department approved outlets. So, you know, they're not going mean, to challenge this. And, and I look at it, you know, I mean, again, I, I'm not as well versed as some of this, but just, you know, just looking at this for a while, like, because I believe with some of the money, 75% of it has to be spent back on American, you know, sort of defense contractors. It's sort of like just another added, not that we don't already spend enough on our military, but then we yeah. sort of have this kind of like, thing where we give israel a bunch of money to then give defense contractors even more money you know and then we arm like a psychotic racist genocidal state to the teeth it's just insane yeah. you know again we can you know watch movies watch tv read these stories but this is real life this is real life twisted shit happening in real time you know like and, even and with the pandemic they're still demolishing homes they're still throwing yep. people in jail. They're still doing all kinds of shit. Like apartheid never stops, you know? Yeah. And it's also, you know, a larger question of, of U.S. empire, right? And strategic. I mean, they're the most key strategic client state in the Middle East. So you cannot, right, speak out against that with, the, with, with under the sort of two-party um, system that we have. Yeah, like let's, let's, pro let's... Capital, yeah, no, pro-capitalist, pro-empire. Right, yeah, both parties are pro-capitalist, pro-empire. Let's talk about that since we're obviously now kind of thrown into this um, this this wonderful choice of lesser of two evils yet again. And uh, I saw someone on Twitter kind of like, kind of post 2016 was tragedy, 2020 is just farce. Like, it's just fucking yep. ridiculous. Like, do we choose yep. the less rapey rapist? <laughs> Is that the choice that's offered to us? And then you still have people kind of like trying to voter shame people. And I'm like, I mean, I even voted for Clinton as much as I despised her, you know, yeah. because it's like, well, we didn't want Trump, obviously. But now it's like, I, I, I don't know. I can't get behind this shit. It's just too much. The DNC is just rotten to the core. And we're not yeah. going to find and, and, any kind of change with either of these parties, obviously. It's, it's what I want to start talking about it, which people have not. It's a structural trap. You, the, the, so I come at it through radical anarchist critique of electoral politics. That's not going to be our liberation, right? We have to start forming social movements and to put pressure on the political system. And the whole part of the sort of corrupt duopoly is they co-opt any, there's no move, there's no, you cannot have, uh, as you know, structurally, what we're talking about here is they will not allow a progressive left party to exist in this country. You have to fall in line under the neoliberal Democrats. Right? Yeah, they, we they... saw this, we saw this, here's, here's what's key. We saw this when you go third parties. We did the third party thing, right? Uh, we went through it with Nader. It's impossible. You become a spoiler candidate. It's structurally impossible. So then what Bernie did 
was basically try to do it from within, right? And so even trying to do it from within is impossible. You get co-opted. Um, and to me, it's a waste of time. The whole electoral politics is a spectacle charade, right? I still, that's saying that I still participate. Um, I, I am a person, though, that votes my conscience. I don't vote for capitalist imperial pigs, so I will abstain if that's what I'm given. I will not be captured, disciplined, and owned by a categorically, fundamentally corrupt, dysfunctional system. I will not allow it to own me. For, and for me, it's about what, so given that, what are we going to do? How are we making a difference in our activist communities for real change? That's where it matters. This sort of how we're getting um, pulled into these dysfunctional systems with these, um, you know, deeply problematic uh, from this sort of, and the other thing I want to, I want, there's three things. First off, there's just voting itself. How, how, right. If we look at um, the last election, we look at Cambridge Analytica, we look at gerrymandering, we look at sophisticated vote suppression and the fourth prong, the fourth prong is electoral college, right? So those are four spaces that are deeply problematic and fucked up just on the voting part alone, right? Just on like, on, I'll tell you this, on voting suppression alone, Greg Powis did the work. Yeah, he did. Trump, Trump, Trump stole it on one prong alone, voting suppression. And, and so that's interesting. Never mind Cambridge Analytica, gerrymandering, um, and uh, the electoral college, right? Um, then you have the Democrats, which are, right, corporate sellouts, essentially, right? They will not allow a progressive left uh, flank at all, right? There's no, you cannot have any any progressive sort of third but we're, party. But we still they, must, they, you, we still yeah, have to you, vote they, for them. They, they, they will co-opt that, and they have. They should, even when trying to do it from within, which is what Bernie did on this round, they will co-opt you. Um, and then you get to the whole thing of what happens when you keep doing lesser of two evils. You actually, and, and, and with the neoliberal Democrats and them abandoning the working class and being sellouts, you could make the case that they paved the way for where we are now, right? Neoliberal Democrats are fundamentally part of the problem in this larger equation. And then you have this structure of the lesser of two evils constantly and eventually giving us someone like Trump, right? We're, we're, we're in a, a dysfunctional cycle, right? Just like almost, you know, in relationships, right? With toxic people yeah, and we exactly. can't, right? You're not, you're not allowed to get out. And, and this is where we're at now with a full blown monster and people are rightfully paranoid. They're, you know, you, you'll get into fights where like you're there, they demand you vote blue no matter who, right? And without any realizing like the voting is not, is 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 not the way out is not liberation it's so corrupt and um on so many levels right on practical levels on a structural level um and but people won't listen to you right when you try to even bring up these comments and i'm i'm a person i'm not going to shame anyone if you want to vote for biden go ahead i will never yeah, shame same, anyone same. but don't shame me yeah. for abstaining from voting for pigs yeah um you well, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, they they suck out all the air. They, as you said, they don't uh, like allow it. And I definitely agree that I think there is a lot of parallels with 
even personal relationships and abuse and gaslighting. It is a lot of gaslighting. It's like, don't you yeah. care about poor people? And it's like, well, did you care that Obama was deporting more people than Bush? But, you know, exactly. again, do you care yeah. about like so many people that are talking about, well, don't you care about the Supreme Court? Don't you care? It's like and then they're, they're not necessarily posting about Tara Reid. So obviously you don't care that Biden is, you know, has a credible rape allegation and not just people on Facebook or social media, but the media itself, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it kind of like, you know, it not only has it given us Trump, it's given us Trump versus Biden, you know? Cause this, I, I forget yeah. there was some other podcaster dude um, was talking about, you know, that making the point that Biden had to drop out when he first, you know, one of the earlier times he ran for president, I think this is the fourth time he's tried to run. But he had to drop out because he straight up plagiarized, I think, some U.K. politician um, and well, a few and other things. And so he, he got caught with all this plagiar plagiarizing and he had to drop out. Now you have him with a credible rape allegation and people are just moving forward. And it's like the lesser of two evils, you know, it starts to just get more and more evil. Like this is just ridiculous ridiculous yeah. it's fucking and it moves ridiculous the spectrum too it moves the spectrum it moves, it's always about moving all the right way, moving right yeah you know? all the way to now we're we're basically have uh fascism like i mean trump's outright fascist right and then and so then that's I, where we're yeah fascism and then i call it fascism light it's like pork rinds versus diet pork rinds <laughs> you know? it's yeah, like, and, are you and, trying to and, lose and, weight <laughs> like and, and the thing too is diet pork rinds because, you know that's and, neoliberalism what's that yeah, and the sad thing too is it, it's egregious just on the sense that it is these pathetic imperial political class, I'm talking Hillary and Biden, who are entitled, right? They both are like, this is my turn. It's my turn. And, and even though both of their records are horrendous, if you just do the algebra on their records, they are horrendous. Shitty, Every shitty, way. shitty people. You could argue, argue Biden helped engineer the neoliberal turn in the 80s for the Democrats, right. um, which is unforgivable for me, just unforgivable on that alone. Well, the like, classic shit is people are like, are you worried about the Supreme Court? It's like Google Joe Biden and Anita Hill, you know, yeah. like, you know, go, go get, see that smiling picture with him and Clarence Thomas, like, you know, buddy, buddy. Well, it's, then, like, and, and, it's like, it's like, y'all worried about then, the Supreme Court. Like, who do you think was help put fucking Clarence Thomas on the fucking bench? That motherfucker. Well, and also, too, this commenting of like the work, like the anxiety of the Supreme Court. So, right. For that, for me, that's a topic where uh, constitutional scholars have written books, um, including, well, there's a book written on abolishing it. The Supreme Court has been such a sort of failure as a political um, body, right? right. It's always, it, it, its track record is horrendous. It's always, um, it has a record of, of, of favoring corporate and state interests, right, over the people. And not only that, it's become a sort of entrenched uh, political mechanism to shoot, you know, right? And so it's deeply, deeply problematic. There's a book written on it. Thomas Hartman also has these real, really cool books um, and he has one on the Second Amendment and guns, one on uh, the Supreme Court, and one on voting suppression. Um, all are absolutely must-reads. They're really, really brilliant, incisive little books. And they go into these issues and break them open. And he has what, the one on the Supreme Court just shows you 
how horrendous it is and what we really need to do as far as moving forward, right? So how do we channel activism because into like these deeply messed up issues, like, or even on voting suppression, right? Right. When you hear all these people yelling at you to vote blue or no matter who, it's like, well, are you doing anything on the ground as far as anything? Yeah. You know, instead well, of, the, you know, instead of, yeah, uh, that's instead something of shaming that... people with, and thinking the vote is the only thing that right. we're, that's going to change, it's a joke. Right. Yeah, and that's something that I've actually been also just trying to look towards, even with starting this podcast and just, you know, yelling a lot on social media, but also just looking to try and, and get involved with more things on the ground. Because I feel like, you know, again, I'm not necessarily an anarchist. You know, I'd say I'd probably leaning more towards, you know, communism and stuff. But I do feel that, like, yeah, you the electric you, you revolution at, on an electoral politics type of level, especially on national level, you're you're not going to see it. They, they've fixed the no. game. And I mean, especially the way the DNC has kind of ran this whole thing. I mean, they were fixing Iowa. There was a lot of, you know, uh, I think a guy, J.V. Graz, who I follow on Twitter, was pointing out a lot of the, you know, exit poll discrepancies in Massachusetts and Texas. I mean, there's, you know, a lot to be said that they even fixed this election, you know, in terms of the uh, primary around. So it's like, Yep. You know, it's you have to kind of like. I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I again, people can do what they want to do. I'm not going to shame anyone, but there, there's no way you can get me to support this party at this point. They're just rotten to the core, you know. And it's like obviously, yeah, yeah. you know, well, you know, like, like my favorite, too, right? my favorite one is like the logic of, you know, the, you know, like centrists, you know. They fail basic logic lessons like, OK, if you're not voting for Biden, that's a vote for Trump. Well, if I'm not voting for Trump, yeah, no. then quid no. pro quo, isn't that a vote for Biden? Like you knuckleheads like, did you know, under, but, you know, one of the things I've been saying yeah. is one thing that's for sure. If you vote for a rapist, then you're voting for a rapist. So, yeah, like, well, but also like, even <laughs> I mean, if so you want to get into logic lessons, like if you're voting for a rapist, you are voting for a fucking rapist. Plus, it's plus it's not not only is it on its head incorrect, but there's, it's not black and white, right? I mean, all I have to say is electoral college. That's total, total, uh, structural garbage. Yeah. Um, no, and it's, it's like, what, and, and you know what I mean? So it's like, don't come, you know, don't to make it black and white and simple like that, which it's not, it's just stupid and naive. Yeah, it um, is naive. And, I mean, I understand, right, the states where we're at and how devastating it is. And, like, people are in such states of fear. Fear. That's, uh, and that's that, how they control know. people. It is fear. That's how they've always used yeah. the lesser evil. It's like, because they keep rolling out worse and worse people. And then now we're like, we miss George W. Bush. And, you know, he gave Michelle Obama a piece of gum and he was on Ellen. So he's okay now. And it's like, would you people even, like, you guys remember Katrina? I mean... It just really, to yeah. me, wasn't that long ago. Not that, you know, I'm not young, but I'm not that old, but it's like, Bush is awful. How in the fuck do you, you know, that liberals start to, because, you know, again, the whole concept of like the never Trumpers, that now David Frum is an yeah. ally, the guy who coined Axis of Evil, and Bill Crystal is, and Bill Crystal is woke, and he's doing interviews with Fat Joe, and it's like, where the fuck are we? This is just... I feel like we're in a bad Black Mirror episode. It's like worse than the Miley yeah. Cyrus one. It's just bad. Well, it, this will, you know, what's interesting is this will be very, I think it's, to me, one curious thing to look at 
after this is how much damage the Democratic Party will do to itself after this, because this is going to be a deep, mortal wound, right? We with, hope. With, we on, hope. The le- on the left, with 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 progressives, right? I'm, it's it, 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 it's it's really going to be the credibility of the party is on online in a sense, right? And that being said, Jim, this is interesting. Two things that flipped up I wanted to drop is, you know, because your whole thing is just thinking more about politics and music and culture, right? It's kind of, well, one of the interesting things about what you're doing here, and I, I it's called Sound System, the uh, the political power of music. Okay. And it's by and it's by Dave Randall. Um, and it just got me thinking. It's one of those books that I had, and you know, it's you know, I I've been meaning to read it for a while. It came out in 2017, but um, it just kind of got me thinking a lot deeper. Also, to around what where where you are sort of thinking with or thinking through like the frame of the power and politics and music and culture. Right. Um, and I was just like, Oh, that's the perfect book. I should try. I should mention it, uh, you know, on, you know, during the interview, cause I thought it would be, you know, definitely worth people being up on. And he's an amazing writer and it really kind of gets into many scenarios of, you know, you know, the, of, of the power of music and how it plays out, you know, in many political sort of ways. Um, and so it just got me thinking in a, just deeper in the sort of cultural arena of the power of music and how it's woven in within political contexts. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it is, uh, just knowing people like yourself and many other people, and not just music, I mean, just general arts people, yeah. just general human beings. But, you know, since, you know, both of us have worked in music for a long time, those circles seem to come up, you know, obviously. But also just, you know, in my own awareness of trying to kind of have a, a greater understanding of, you know, this world and all the games and fuckery that, you know, and then just kind of like, with other people that, you know, just kind of like trying to tie in to, you know, people like yourself that I also feel like are just operating on that level. And it's not even like, do we have the answers, but maybe we can talk some shit (laughs) and figure out some things or at the very least, you know, get some nice recommendations of things I should check out and just get different perspectives. So that, you know, that is kind of the gist of what uh, this is about is just, you know, trying to have conversations and, and uh, get perspectives from people that I respect, not just artistically, but also, you know, that kind of awareness of just how fucked up this world is, you know? Yeah. And, and, and using culture as an arena, music yeah. as, an, an, as an arena to affect change, to start campaigns. I mean, like the biggest one, free Nelson Mandela, Yeah, um, you know, to buy the special of AKA. Right. I mean, right. That, that whole thing, changed reality and you know what I mean which is amazing and I'm reading about it the details of it in the book sound system um, and you know I was thinking about you know uh, the work we were talking about and that you've done right the, as, as far as Palestinian solidarity and doing events um, and using the cultural sort of plane to kind of affect change and to kind of 
you know, um, yeah, well, I think music. in terms of like, uh, you know, yeah, that track free Nelson Mandela, you know, um, and just the general effectiveness of some of the cultural side of helping to bring down South African apartheid. And of course, South Africa, you know, still kind of like there's still a lot of inequality and still a lot of like just yeah. bullshit neoliberalism type of things playing out there. But um, at least in terms of trying to knock out the official apartheid status, you know, I think culture had a lot of, you know, a lot to do with it in terms of, uh, you know, people saying they weren't going to play Sun Suntown or whatever. Yep. The, uh, Sun the, City. Yeah, Sun yeah. City. Yeah, exactly. Sun City, the, uh, the resort. And then also even, um, you know, something I follow less, sports, but there's also a lot of sports teams boycotting. So, I mean, I think you can yeah. kind of... You can you can you can affect change, you know, sort of rallying what people do for entertainment, but just also kind of center on like, are you guys really okay with this? Like, are you guys yeah. okay with entertaining for apartheid? You know, I think yeah. it's a very legitimate question, and then uh, you know it can kind of spiral from there. Which, you know, which you know, which right now, right, you know very very well where we are with with that and and. Israel apartheid and artists playing there and the whole, you know, the whole sort of using culture to mask Israeli apartheid, right? And then, um, I mean, how many times have we, we've we've known now? One of the biggest ones was was uh, Lord who who did not play. Yeah, there's um, been a few pop artists that have actually almost shown up. The quote-unquote hipster artists, like I definitely like, have kind of lost a lot of respect for people like Radiohead or Nick, yep. Nick Cave kind of dug himself a serious hole, yep. you know, he really just played himself horribly. But then, yeah, you have people like, uh, you know, Lana Del Rey or whatever, or, you know, Lord that are actually, you know, pop music that I'm generally not following, but I do respect these people. I mean, I think Lana Del Rey turned down like some astronomical figure. Oh, yeah. I forget what it was, but I mean, it was like... I think it was, yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know. And that's the other thing, too, that's kind of sick is that they will kind of almost overpay these artists, you know, yep. to do it. So it's like yeah. just uh, just from a real struggle of just, uh, you know, if you're kind of on the fence or it's not really an issue that you're following. So you're like, whatever. And then on top of that, they're going to pay you 10 times the amount. Yep. Well, then, you know, if you don't care, then you really don't care because you're getting paid, you know, and it's it is fucked up, you know. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I mean, that's one of the biggest I think that people are even hearing about the controversy, right, is because of the big pop stars. And then they hear, oh, there was something about, you know, them not playing or playing. Israel. Well, because the media um, doesn't want to report on it. So, yep. You know, yeah. how do you get this stuff out? I mean, that's that's another thing. And, you know, of course, back in the mid 80s, who do you think was down with South African apartheid? Reagan, Thatcher, you know, yep. so you have kind of a similar situation where it's sort of okayed by our politicians, okayed by the media. And, it, you know, that's yep. the thing. There can be a role for artists, you know, even if you're not, quote unquote, running for office or you're not a lawyer or this or that, you, you know, people can use their profile to kind of push for change, you know. And I do, yeah, and I, I do appreciate those artists, like you know, like Brian Eno and um, Roger Waters, you know, that have been yep. 
especially Roger Waters. And again, I'm not, you know, I like some early Floyd. I, I wouldn't even say I'm a massive Pink Floyd fan, but, uh, you know, he's probably one of the people that have really pushed for a lot oh, yeah. out there. You know, yeah. I have I have a lot of respect for him. He's he's one of the few kind of like celebrity type people out there Musician. that really really knows the time. You know. Yeah. No, it's yeah, big time too, right? Because you know, there's costs. Uh, we know you will be targeted. Oh um, yeah, and he yeah, has been too, of course. Yep. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, it, it was it was it was interesting thinking about that. I was like, oh god, we didn't even really kind of touch on that you know which has always been kind of huge for, for for both of us and thinking about what are the possibilities to do a sort of cultural awareness arts thing that is palestinian and that does talk about um you know the unjust apartheid regime um in israel right there is i, I was when i was rereading the whole history of the special aka and the nelson mandela thing um, I mean, it takes a lot, but you see how it had these small little beginnings, and then it became such a huge thing. And networking with the political, you know, uh, organizers and fusing that with sort of, you know, culture and music to kind of create an awareness campaign, I think would be key, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice if you, you know, you have like something like that, like a song, but... Uh... Yeah, just in general, it's just whatever people can do. It's sort of, it's a machine, you know, so you have to, you know, as they say, throw yourself against the gears. You got to stop it. It's just a sick machine, yeah. you know. And I mean, the well, crazy we, thing is even, you know, as we're recording this, uh, you know, as in the coronavirus BS, like, you know, apartheid still doesn't stop. They're still, yep. you know, doing night raids on people probably with masks that the U.S. has provided them. Because I think, well, I think the, the U.S. The sent scene. the IDF a million masks when we don't even have them for our hospital workers here. It's just it's just a sick yep. system. It's a really sick it system. Is, it is. It is. And even the siege, right? Like, they're not even allowed to bring in the actual basic stuff. Oh, yeah, in Gaza. Really... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's nuts. And I, I just think, yeah. like, if, you know, for people, like... Of course, the media doesn't report on this, so if you don't look for it, then you may not be aware of it. But I feel like, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that once you become aware of it, it's just like, Jesus Christ, how how is this even happening? And, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of, yeah. it is some Emperor's New Clothes shit, you know? It really is. Yeah. Like, are we all going to just sit here and pretend that, you know, these things aren't happening? Well, that's, that is the gist. That's what they're trying to sell. They're just... Don't report on it. Misreport on it. It's basically not yeah. happening to to certain people in this world, you know. Yeah. No. Well, and that's with 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 obviously uh, Israel Palestine. The stakes are so high, and exactly now it is too much money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean the, the like people, you know, the risk because it will you will be you know definitely targeted, right? So I mean. Uh, it's, 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 the stakes are, are pretty, pretty serious. Um, yeah, as you, as you, we were talking about before with like the lawfare and stuff, you know, it, they, there is oh, a lot yeah. of discouragement to not talk about these issues, you know? Yep. Exactly. Actually, exactly. But, but in that vein, we are actually kind of running out of time. So, uh, and again, uh, 
thank you so much, Jason, for uh, all your insights yeah. and uh, and the music, et cetera. Like I said, this is uh, we're going to be running a mix that's a uh, sort of half of a mix. I think your mix was like an hour and a half, right, originally. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to run about half of it, the first half, and this is all tracks that are from this year, right? Yeah, all brand new, and people can actually uh, find the whole mix on Mixcloud. Uh, They can search um, my DJ name, Lord Lewis, and they'll be able to pull it up. Okay, great. Awesome, man. And we'll have the track listing and all that stuff and some links. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out and uh, talking shit here on Stark Reality. Yep. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right. I'll catch you soon. To hear the exclusive Stark Reality playlist from Lord Lewis, check out episode 10 of Stark Reality on Mixcloud or live and direct on jasoncharles.net podcast network music shows. You've been listening to Small Changes, Stark Reality on (laughs) jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds That was so deep